Hello and welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. Today's episode features Mark C. from Wichita Falls, Texas, who talks about his recovery, holy wars, and doubling down on love and tolerance. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Nice to talk to you. Good talking to you. Uh, you say you just got back from a meeting. Uh, yeah, I just walked in the door. How was it? Well, it's fine. Um, well, I go to a, a conventional meeting here in town. Yeah. And a conventional meeting at a conventional group. Right. And there were, uh, tonight there were 14 people there, and six of those people were atheists. Is that unusual for uh, that meeting? Uh, it's usually not half, nearly half and half, but uh, there will usually be several atheists in the room. That's kind of interesting. And approximately half of the people in the room uh, completely opted out of the Lord's Prayer, which is typical as well. That's really interesting. Now, Mark, where exactly are you? You're like in West Texas, right? Yeah, I'm in Wichita Falls, Texas. We're about 120 miles northwest of Dallas, Fort Worth. Okay. On Highway 287. And if you continued on that road, you would eventually wind up uh, in Amarillo. Oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. So we're about halfway between Amarillo, Texas, up in the Panhandle, and Dallas, Fort Worth. Gotcha. All right. So I figure, and and you're that's actually a pretty good sized city, then Wichita Falls. Well, we we uh, we're around a hundred thousand people. Okay. Give or take. It's kind of funny city, you, our, when you get to know somebody on Facebook. I always have this impression that you're living in some dusty little uh, <laughs> desert town somewhere. Not the case. Well, it's pretty. It's Pretty much everything out here is dusty. It's little. <laughs> I mean, that's a, in our county, for example, there are 150,000 people. Okay. In our entire county. Right. And then uh, here in Wichita, we've got about 100,000. And uh, a lot of those are, uh, we have an Air Force base here, which is a NATO training base for uh, fighter pilots. Oh, okay. Uh, who are NATO allies okay. and are our own, our own U.S. troops. And so we've got a lot of guys from all over Europe here. And so that uh, makes things kind of interesting, too. Okay. Well, I was just kind of wondering because I thought, you know, around here, I don't know if I've ever been to a meeting where there's been that many open atheists. And just about every single meeting here closes with the Lord's Prayer. But if I remember right, did are you the one that kind of started the not saying the Lord's Prayer and it kind of started catching on at that group? Uh, yeah, I was. Um you know, uh, I guess part of my story we'll talk about. Yeah. It, it kind of lightly touches on what I call a holy war, mm-hmm. and, which pretty much went on incessantly for the first two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but about, you know, when I, when I came in uh, very early on, I, I uh, would attempt to, you know, uh, be feeling like I was a part of, and I would stand in the circle. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm not praying. Uh, mm-hmm. I am an atheist, and um, but yet I was made to feel that really I shouldn't be in that circle. There would be snarky remarks. There would be, look, the atheist is praying. We got him praying. It'll be any time now. Yeah, you know this kind of this kind of noise. And then some people would just look at me and smirk and give me the evil eye and stuff. And eventually, uh, it didn't take too much of that uh, in the context of this. A lot of other very negative things that were going on for me to say, you know what, that's horseshit. That's intellectually dishonest. Yeah. Stand here and do this. Yeah. And uh, um, as a matter of principle, I, I refuse to do it. Yeah. You know, prayers, theistic beliefs, uh, 
have nothing to do with me getting sober. Yep. Uh, nor part of my recovery from this hopeless state of mind and body. And to be intellectually rigorously honest about that was a challenge. And when I opted out, that of course just fed into the uh, the ongoing holy war. Mm-hmm. And of course, a big issue was made out of that. Is yeah. Um, it took me a little time in that context to figure out how to respond to the backlash from simply opting out of the prayer. And, you know, when when pretty much anything you ever say is vocally attacked in public in front of everybody, um, what do you do with that? Yep. Mean, it took a little while for me to begin to figure out, well, just how, how do I explain myself in this, in this uh, circumstance, you know, this environment? And it eventually, uh, the preamble, of course, helped me do that. You know, logically, if you look at the preamble, uh, A, it's not affiliated with any religion mm-hmm. or sect. Right. And the Lord's Prayer is technically Protestant. Prayer. Yeah, they, they, the one that we say in A is a Protestant version, isn't it? A- absolutely is. Yeah. yeah. It's not our father. Right. And a good Catholic, um, if he's uh, square of his theology and the, and the teaching of his church, he's not going to be involved in religious exercises usually with non-Catholics. Right. I mean, a lot of Catholics still are like that and think like that. You know, early AA history had some, some problem with that. That's right. You That's know, right. Uh, Clarence, the guys up there from uh, from North Akron. That seemed to be like but, in the early days of AA, that was really the primary concern is trying to make it um, acceptable for Catholics, you know, rather than worrying well, about. Well, yeah, I don't know if it was unacceptable to Catholics. It was unacceptable to Catholics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Clarence and those guys, uh, that was part of their problem. You know, their religious uh, superiors were saying, what are you guys doing down there? You know, the rest of that's history, you know, and yep. they really took off from there. Yep. But it uh, was interesting. Um, but, you know, eventually I came down to that narrative uh, that Protestant Christian beliefs nor any Christian beliefs are not part of uh, what got me sober or how I live sober today. Yep. And, um, you know, I respect your your right to have any path you like and to practice any ritual you like. But yep. I'm going to have to just be a conscientious objector a principal dissent position. And it was surprising. I was the only one. And, you know, we humans are kind of sheepish. You know, we like to herd up. We do. And collect together in these little flocks. And what You know, the outlier is a problem. And so part of that, I guess for about, I don't know, I guess I noticed maybe, maybe after about a month of sitting out this prayer, I noticed somebody else sitting out. Mm-hmm across the room he's sitting out of the prayer mm-hmm. and pretty soon another one then another <laughs> one then another one and so it's to the point now uh, without any kind of a floor fight without any kind of emotion you know motion as in robert's rules of order motion right uh, you know at, at pretty much any given meeting we'll have we may have roughly half the people completely opt out of the lord's prayer and have the freedom to do that without, you know, having yeah. to uh, put up with a bunch of BS about it, yep. while the the Christian, Protestant, or Catholic contingent can have that as part of their deal, and nobody, you know, gives anybody any guff about it. That's how I approached it, and uh, over time that has had some influence on others to say, you know, I don't really like doing that either. I'm not going to do that either. 
I tell you, man, I admire yeah, but, you for doing that. That's that. I I could see that probably could have worked at my old home group if I would have tried doing that. Because God, there are a lot of people there that you know just, they, they didn't take it too serious. They just said it because that's what you do. And I think if they would have really thought about it, you know, um, they probably would have started sitting out. They'd see other people sit out. Yeah. But. And once they begin to hear a narrative, and if that narrative is coming from our literature, the preamble, for example. And you have the opportunity to uh, maybe explain yourself a little, <laughs> then it seems to carry some weight, you know. You know, it's kind of funny, but, you know, it's only like in the Midwest and the South, I guess in Canada, too, <laughs> where the Lord's Prayer is being said in AA meetings. I guess they don't do it on in New York I get, and the East Coast or like in California. I guess they don't say the Lord's Prayer. Maybe some of the meetings do. But I guess the U.S. is still pretty pretty into it. Well, sure. And we, um, you know, Protestant fundamentalists and evangelicals um, are probably the lion's share of uh, most religious believers that flock to AA. You know, we do have a few Catholics here. Yep. They have trouble with the Lord's Prayer. The last time I ever went to my old home group... Um, I, when I told him, and that's the only time I told him I was an atheist and I didn't go to their, I don't go to their meetings anymore. And uh, after that, this Jewish guy came up to me, you know, I told him about this agnostic meeting. He says, so you guys don't say that stupid fucking Lord's prayer, do you? I said, no, we don't. I said, do you not like the Lord's prayer? He says, I hate that goddamn thing. And I said, well, why didn't you ever say anything? So oh, I, it's not even worth the trouble. He told me, but I think it would have been worth the trouble if he would have let people know just how much he hated it and hated, hated saying it, that maybe people would listen to him, but. That's that's going on in AA all over the place right now. Oh, sure. You know, uh, my first few years sober, I was still traveling with what I do for a living. Yeah. And I went to AA meetings in uh, seven states, and every meeting I went to closed with. Yeah. And as a result of me not doing that and being open about who I was, I met a few atheists here and there along the way. Well, I say everyone, except for two, uh, one meeting I went to. There's a We Agnostics meeting up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And, of course, uh, they did not say it. But I found it a little boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and I'll say why. Because everybody was pretty much on the same page about everything. Oh, you mean at the agnostic meeting? Yeah. Yeah. They, you know. And that meeting, I think, uh, as I recall it, there was a lot of religion bashing and stuff. And, you yeah. know, I am not opposed to that in the proper context you know right. i have a little fun with it but you know that's not what i'm there no you know, that's not a good a you know that happens sometimes in these meetings, these agnostic meetings. Our group goes through it periodically. It kind of depends upon who is there and where they're at in their recovery or whatever, or their experience just kind of um, dealing with traditional AA. Because people get, um, oh, I don't know, they just have to get it out of their system because they've, they've, they've either been beaten down for years, you know, trying to conform to other people's beliefs or... They've just realized that they don't buy it anymore, and they and it's just kind of a shock to their system. But we had we went yeah. through that for a while at our group. We had we had quite a period, kind of a rough rough period, where some people um, really had some hard hurt feelings about how they were treated by their old home group, and they were just so relieved to have another AA meeting they could go to to talk about it that. Boy, that was that was like the subject for a long time about these, you know, what was wrong with AA, basically. But yeah, I, I don't like yeah. it either. It, it doesn't really help with with what we're really there for. And speaking of that, Mark, yeah. I was reading your story. Yeah. You've had a long you you had a long descent into alcoholism, 
And then you had a long road to atheism. This isn't anything that happened to you just like overnight. I thought that was kind of interesting. You want to kind of go into a little bit about about your journey and how how this all happened, you know, um, from alcoholism to recovery and from belief to atheism? Well, yeah, sure. Um, I was about eight or nine years old when I uh, took my first drink. We were at a Fourth of July celebration, big family event, large family. And uh, my little cousin and I were the the youngest two little squirts running around there. And some of the older timers decided it was time for these boys to, you know, find out about stuff. And they made us drink a beer, you know. Yep. They had these big old uh, galvanized wash tubs full of ice beer where they made us sit there in these little lawn chairs, mm-hmm. suck down that beer. Yeah. Because we were being curious, you know. Right. And we both got hammered mm-hmm. and sick. And I I just hated it. And my cousin, he uh, he didn't hate it. Yep. And he, uh, by the time he was in high school, he, he wasn't full blown out. He, uh, by the time he was in the early 20, he was in full blown dug it drug addiction as well, jails and hospitals, running from the law and all kinds of stuff. He he died of cirrhosis of the liver at thirty two. God. And so, you know, I just remembered uh, you know, I came out of that experience with an aversion to alcohol. Uh I didn't like the effects of it. And so how long did that taste, how long did that last? That lasted uh for quite a while actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I smoked my first joint at twelve years old. Uh I uh, discovered I, I liked marijuana. Yeah. And uh, by the time I was 17, I was smoking all the time, and I was using amphetamines heavily all the time. Mm-hmm. I was managing a, a weird schedule I had uh, with those two substances. And uh, in the interim there, all through that, there were all kinds of other drugs, you know, a lot of LSD, hash, peyote, yep. stuff like that, you know. But um, I walked away from all that when I joined the service. Yep. And uh, never really looked back on it. I, I I drank a few times in there, you know, as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Boone's Farm, Strawberry Hill, I remember one time. Mm-hmm. But, but looking back on it, from my perspective now, at you know, 60, you know, the last few years I've been examining my life with about this. I realized that I couldn't remember any time that I drank that it just didn't go kind of weird and crazy. Yeah. That it was always to excess. And I yeah. don't know if I mentioned that in, in my story or not, mm-hmm. but, but that seemed to be the predominant theme of me and alcohol. Yep. I'd get sick, but I never got sick on this other stuff. See? Right. And, um, that's just kind of how it sort of evolved. But like I said, I walked away from it when I joined the service. Mm-hmm. I drank a couple times in the service, and both those times uh, that I recall, a pretty, pretty hammered. Yeah, it just wasn't you know a couple out yep. of the deal. Yeah, but my uh, apparent aversion to to alcohol and the use of drugs uh, was given a, a pretty significant boost as a result of a. Uh, uh, tra- what I call now in the context of a, a transformative religious experience on a Houston freeway. Yeah. And, uh, that was my introduction into the, uh, the beginnings of the Christian life and the, the Christian ideas. Yeah. That was really interesting. Christ- the Christian worldviews. What, what you actually had like a burning bush type of an experience, right? It, 
yeah, it was quite a bit like that. I didn't see white lights or anything, but um, it was it was life altering. It changed mm-hmm. the way I looked at the world, the, mm-hmm. the existence, and uh, that put me on a better path in life in some mm-hmm. real ways. With, uh, because I was not raised in any of that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so that was kind of novel to me. And, but I uh, began to study the Bible just incessantly and church history, and I suppose those two interests, you know, develop into a a much broader interest in history at large. Because mm-hmm. if you study those two things, uh, you're immediately drawn into the history of philosophy. Uh, you are immediately drawn into a lot of things, cultural, social histories, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. You know, it's all, everything is interrelated. But I spent a couple of years uh, in solo independent study like that, and but didn't know any Christians. And I came out of that period uh, on the basis of a verse in the New Testament, Hebrews, that says, not to take the gathering together of yourselves, as is the habit of some but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Mm-hmm. Hebrews ten twenty four and twenty five is the verse there. Kind of applies to A in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> but that verse prompted me to reach out to others, and I, I began to attend this little Baptist church in Houston, Texas. And there, I was, you know, the first time I was ever really exposed to some pretty vibrant. Um, Christians who mm-hmm. uh, who accepted me and loved me and you know encouraged me and you know it just fed into the whole worldview and you can see the same kind of thing happening in AA yeah you know we out of this isolation oh yeah and we a lot of us uh, you know we're in utter isolation at the end yeah and maybe we spent some years in that utter isolation I know I did yeah but. Uh, just walking back into a social setting was just a huge challenge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and to see somebody that had something you had in common with and finding some encouragement like that is just profound, isn't it? Yeah. It can be quite powerful. So that's how I, how I look at that. But my early days, uh, of course, uh, most of the people I had uh, began to be associated with uh, we're pretty much Bible literalists. Yeah, that's what you mentioned. When we look at the texts, uh, right. the Bible, so, uh, they, they took it very literally. They were not modernist or liberalist you yep. know, in this sense. And uh, But over time, you know, they say the Bible is probably the world's best handbook on atheism ever written. <laughs> Voltaire had something yeah. along those lines. You know, the, the people, most of the people who uh, are believers... Uh, don't dig in that deep to to the Bible. No. Yeah, but if you do dig in that deep, you're going to find yourself in lots of trouble. Yeah. And um, because there are some things that just don't add up. No. And can't add up. And eventually the, the uh, wafer-thin excuses about that no longer support you, and you have to just admit the thing falls to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. I find the Bible pretty interesting. I had experience kind of like yours, although I didn't study it as as much as you did, but I knew absolutely nothing about religion, and I was still drinking at this time. I guess I was kind of miserable. So I, by myself, sat down and read the Bible cover to cover because I didn't know anything about the damn thing. 
And then I decided I was going to take a class about the Bible. So I went to this junior college and I took a class, the most interesting class I've ever had in my life, the New Testament as literature. So we didn't study it. Yeah, we didn't study it from a theological standpoint. We studied it as, as a book, as literature. And it was, and it was taught by uh, an Episcopal priest. And it was, it was really fascinating because you, then you learn, oh, this, this is a book that was put together by human beings. It was put together, you know, like some of the books, like a century after, um, Jesus supposedly even, it was very, very interesting, but it kind of put it all in perspective and it gives you a little bit better respect for it than if it's just taken, if you try to take it literally, it kind of ruins it, I think. But if you look at it from a historic perspective and for, as literature, it's really kind of interesting. And, and like you say, it opens up a, other doors because then it be, then you get interested in learning other things about what was going on during those times so exactly yeah so i had kind of had sort of, but i didn't get into it as deep as you did i mean you really you i mean you can quote yeah, it was my life <laughs> yeah. you know that that whole that whole world view was my life yeah it's just a, a bible study and and fellowship with christians and mm-hmm. discipleship and scripture memory wow you heard me quote you heard me quote the chapter and verse for that verse i right. provided to you earlier the guys I were running with, some of those guys had memorized the entire New Testament. Jeez. You know, yeah. they majored on stuff. And yeah. so that was just part of our daily routine was memorizing the words of God. Yeah. And during Probably this time, when you were doing this, Mark, you your drinking wasn't – it was pretty manageable, right? You weren't – it was – Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll reintroduce then alcohol into this story. So yeah. Theological absurdities here, but <laughs> eventually I started hooking up some guys that were of the Reformed faith. Uh, John Calvin, those kind of guys mm-hmm. were reformers in that sense. Um, Presbyterians, Reformed guys. They, of course, were not teetotalers. Oh, yeah. And okay. uh, I, had, I had a little bit of Bailey's Irish cream and a cup of coffee at a Christmas Eve function with my, my mentor. Sponsor slash disciple maker guy that I was learning a lot of stuff from, and some of the other guys that were hanging around this this outfit that we hung around with. It was called the Navigators. Any evangelicals that are in the in the audience will probably recognize that group. Um, and it was very casual, um, but it wasn't too long after that. That you know, within a, a year or so, I was drinking a couple of beers after work mm-hmm. every day. I had found that something about alcohol, this disciplined approach to it, uh, just did something for my mind and body that I found displeasurable. It calmed me down a bit. I just felt better. And um, the occupation I was in, of course, is extremely high stress yeah. and uh, extremely demanding. A lot of public interaction and people with people that are in all kinds of really horrid circumstances. Mm-hmm. Emotional and volatile and yeah. not generally reasonable about anything. Yeah. And uh, that occupation turns out uh, seems to crank up alcoholics <laughs> by the thousands. <laughs> like cops and lawyers and doctors, you know, yeah. these high-stress occupations uh, yeah. Yeah. produce a lot of high-functioning drunks. Yep. You know, yeah. It's just kind of what it is. But I maintain that sort of an intake for a few years. Uh, but I was drinking daily, and over time, it just slowly increased in terms of quantity yeah. and and duration of when I was drinking. Kind of see it on a bar graph, just takes off, and then it just 
goes across and gradually it gets more and more and more. Mm -hmm. But uh, at about 10 years in, I'd occasionally have this thought, well, I seem to be drinking more and faster than my buddies around me. Uh, we all drank heavily, you know, involved in my profession considerably. And, you know, those guys had a lot of drink. So during that time when your drinking was getting out of control, then were you still into the um, religion thing? Were yes. Still? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, I was still in atheistic belief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was slowly, uh, alcohol was slowly, almost imperceptibly taking more of me than I knew. You know, so by the 10 year period, I was going, well, maybe I'm drinking a little bit more. I, I just, you know, and then I'd blow it off. 20 years into it, I drank for 30 years. Wow. 20 years into it, uh, by the time 20 years rolled around, I sort of knew that whatever this was, it was a problem, and I really need to start trying on this thing. And, you know, the memory of my cousin was in my mind. Yeah. I was thinking about him a lot during those those days. Yeah. I still think about him a lot. So I would try to, at that time, try to control, moderate, quit. You know, I would, I would, uh, I would moderate in terms and control in terms of not drinking every day. Right. And then uh, when I did drink, not drink as much for as long a period when I was drinking, mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, and sometimes I would have these little um, periods that I thought were successful. I even quit a couple of times. Um, the longest time was for three months, but I started again. Right. And, you know, it just, instead of getting any better, it just got slowly and progressively worse. And I spent about five years trying everything I could do to kind of figure that out. And I, mm -hmm. like I said, I had these little successes every once in a while and it would kind of encourage me to think, well, I think you got this. I think, I think, I think you're getting a handle on this, you know? So this delusion, you know, has not, been, had not been smashed at all. You know, I was still hoping to drink like a regular person. And I, I think Wilson really knocks that stuff out of the park mm -hmm. when he's talking about that kind of thing in the big book. Yep. Uh, at least it resonates with me to the point where, you know, I, I feel confident I can repeat that to most drunks and they'll sort of maybe get it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That was my experience too. I, was, I, I, uh, you know, I, I talk, I, I'm in meetings sometimes and people say that they never really tried to, they, uh, they say, oh, they never wanted to drink normally or whatever. I don't know what, what I was thinking, but I always, I did. I I think I would tell myself. I would always tell myself when I got to drink, I was not going to get drunk. I would tell myself tonight, I'm just going to go out and have a few drinks. I'd tell myself that, but but inevitably, I would get drunk. You know, um. So I, yeah. I I I wanted to have some control over it. I wanted to have a way to drink. And sometimes, to be honest with you, I still would like to be able to drink normally. But I I know I can't. But um, yeah. that 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 was a big part of my drinking is that this time. This time I'm going to do it right. And so, yeah, you know, I had three DWIs, each one a year apart, you know. Um, wow. Yeah. That'll make you poor. Oh, God. Yeah. This was, this was a long time ago. And they, they, but they were starting to get pretty, um, they weren't as serious about it as they are now. I mean, you go to prison now for that, but, um, it was, yep. getting, it was getting pretty serious back then. Um, so I was looking at like doing like six months in jail, which for me would have been just absolutely horrible. Um, they gave me probation. I got lucky, but yeah, you did. Um, yeah. Nowadays they go to jail. People go to jail and they get a felony for three DUIs. 
a lot of times, unless they're uh, well connected, they have a real good lawyer. Yeah. And at least in this part of the, the, the neck of the woods, uh, yeah. if you're uh, from a well connected family mm-hmm. and you've got good money, uh, I know some guys that have five or six DUIs that are still walking around free. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's, that's the case here, that. too. Our system is pretty rigged. Oh, it is. Yeah. But yeah, your your story is kind of where I began to find myself at about the twenty year point. Yeah, it had come to that point where it was just taking on a life of its own, and mm-hmm. it would my drinking would uh, take a life of its own. It sense it would ignore my initial choices about how much I was going to drink, how long I was going to, you know, that kind of stuff. It just kind of take off. Yeah. So I have these little successes, but it'd be interspersed by many more periods where it was like. Well, I didn't intend to do this at all, you know. Yeah. And you know, it's, this is pushing me toward that uh, that that point of incomprehensible demoralization. Right. Which I think Wilson hits that pretty good too. He did. You know, Absolutely. I relate to that at least. Me too. But five years before coming into AA, I had given up. I I just gave up, and um, the last couple of years of it, um, I was I'll pretty much always drunk i had uh i was high functioning for so long i had quite a bit of money stacked up and i don't spend a lot of money i'm kind mm-hmm. of a cheapskate and um so i could essentially live and not work for a few years and that's pretty much what happened um you know over the course of those years i had started to turn down more assignments mm-hmm. you know because i preferred to stay home and be drunk yeah you know it just slowly took it all you know but yeah, I had thrown in the towel and I, I had come to that point of surrender, really, which mm-hmm. is part of the step one business. I know my story doesn't talk much at all about the steps. It's too wordy as it is. And maybe another story for another time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that surrender to this fact about me and booze that it had just kicked my ass. Yeah. And could not figure out a way to fix the problem. I gave up. Yep. And, um, I was pretty much always insanely drunk during that last couple of years. When I woke up, I was still drunk and I was drinking before I was putting coffee on and drank all day and all night until I either passed out or I blacked out. And then uh, I'd wake up the next day and start all over. Yeah. And that's the way it went. And that's just kind of what it was for me there, you know, but I, at a point in that, during living in that sort of men- mental state and mm-hmm. that that level of it, I decided I wanted to live. I had become quite amb- ambivalent about living or not living. I right. didn't care. Right. You know, I hadn't cared for quite a while. Uh, but I decided I wanted to live. I had three grown children from a from a marriage that had lasted twenty years, and I had uh, three grandchildren. And uh, the oldest one at that time was six years old. I had never been invited to her birthday party. Uh, I had more damn sense than to invite a drunk right. to a kid's birthday party. Yeah. You know, and I was 30 days sober, and I got invited to a birthday party uh, for my oldest grandmother for the first time. And I stood on the side of the pool over there trying to hide, and I was just weeping. Uh, 30 days sober, and I was seeing some fantastic things, you know. Yeah. And that's just progressed. Now I have nine grandkids, um, and it's just, they just keep uh, coming along, you know. Mm-hmm. So 
what we were talking about. Well, you were, um, so you, you, you're describing the point now where you decide you want to live. So is, is this, is this yeah. where, is this where you, um, yes. get to AA? Well, yeah, that night, it was about 1030. I was hammered out of my mind as usual. I'm leaning up against the countertop in my kitchen because I can't stand. And I decided I wanted to live. Mm-hmm. And I, my phone book is right there, and I grabbed the phone book. Uh, what I knew was I couldn't fix it by myself, that if the problem could be fixed, I was not at all confident that it could be. It would require me doing a completely different course of action. And um, the one thing I did know was that uh, drunks got sober in AA. Yeah. AA seemed to be a drunks getting sober. And uh, I knew for a fact, I had no doubt in my mind that I was a drunk. And I called the number, and a nice lady got on the phone and uh, told me where a meeting was and a time, and I went to my first AA meeting the next day. I think I related in my story that I had uh, not a lot of knowledge about AA. I had looked at the 12 steps yeah. uh, back during my period of ardent Christian belief. I had right. been an atheist, by the way, 15 years by the time I made the decision to reach out for help and Okay, so that's yeah. During so that during your drinking period, you kind of um, decided you gave you lost your faith. In other words, you 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 embraced atheism, basically. Well, actually, that's a long. That was a long. If you read deconversion stories, uh, mm-hmm. which you can, I like to say on xchristians.net, for example, is a great mm-hmm. place to hear testimonies, if you want to call them that, yeah. or stories of people and their deconversions away from. Christianity right. in whatever form, fundamentalist, right. liberal, whatever, theistic belief in general. Um, that's usually a long, slow okay. process. Okay. So if I could, if I could throw out some terms, it would probably trace my 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 personal evolution from ardent Christian Protestant theism to a general theism. To agnosticism, well, there was a little period there where I thought deism was attractive. Um, the atheists pretty much destroyed deism in the 18th century, if you'll read the intellectual histories on it. They had some help, of course, from their Christian apologist friends, but then I became agnostic, leaning toward deism. Mm-hmm. Then I can myself basically an agnostic, mm-hmm. and I didn't quite know what those terms meant then. Uh, Agnostic is about is regards belief, right. knowledge rather. Right. Theism is belief. Right. Atheism is a lack of theism. Right. But tell you a damn thing about what I might believe. It just says I do not hold theistic beliefs. Right. It says nothing to do about knowledge. The guy knows. Right. Exactly. Or what can you? Exactly. Right. And that's so, where the big book gets that wrong, or the twelve and twelve that says the atheist Wilson. Yeah, all of our shit gets. Yeah. You know, Wilson never was a, belie- a a non-believer. No, he was never an agnostic. He was, by his own words, right. He was never an atheist. No, he was. He always was a believer. Right. He was not a theistic believer. Right. But he was a believer. He believed that there was this intelligence that kind right. of superintended it, very nebulous, woo-woo, fuzzy thing. Right. And he became a theist as a result of his. Conversion experience, his white light experience, yeah, the Belladonna gig, yep, and his perception, his interpretation of that experience into the proposition that God is personal, He loves me, right, and He's going to do business in my life, right. 
that's a different point of view than there's a cosmic intelligence out there somewhere. Exactly. So he was clueless. Right. And he was not a philosopher. He was not a religious historian. He was not a theologian. Mm -mm. But he tried to become a, a lay Christian apologist without Jesus in the big book. So, you know, yeah. those are technicalities. But those kinds of distinctions and definitions of words begin to bring some clarity into this picture. Right. Yeah. So eventually I was agnostic, leaning toward atheism, mm -hmm. no theism. Right. Or theism. And then eventually one day I, I'm sitting there reading. The one thing I did not lose all these years was my fascination with history and philosophy and religion literature. Right. Right. That's been a, the one major undying passion in my life in terms of the life of the mind. Right. And I could read and think drunk as a skunk <laughs> and right too, you know. Yeah. So I realized I am without theistic beliefs. And this is while you're in AA, right? This is your No, this is before. Before. No, okay, gotcha. Before. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. That's this right. Okay. Me, this is me coming to be honest about intellectually honest about what it is I believed or didn't. Gotcha. Okay. And I, go, I am without theistic belief. Therefore by definition I am without theism. Right. right. You see what I'm saying? Gotcha. So, how and was it in so a... It, it, it bothered me. Yeah. <laughs> no, it bothered me. Yeah. Because all of these beliefs I'd hold, held for so long, even though they had been eroded by, by thinking, what do you do with that? What so do you, you do with it? So, you show up in AA, and you're, you're, are you drawing similarities between what's going on in AA and your past experience with religion? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That question. Yep. And how, yeah. so how did you overcome that and stick with uh, the program? How did you, how, you overcome that and, and deal and deal with it to stay sober? Well, um, one, I, I accept reality. That is the reality. Uh, the, I immediately began to, of course, explore our primary text, right. the big book, uh, and read it several times uh -huh. in different kinds of ways. And to me, as far as um, my point of view about it is, it's essentially a theistic religious text. It is. It is. It is. Absolutely. AA is a religion. A a a is a religion, in my opinion. It truly is a religion. I, I, want it, I want it not to be a religion, but it is a religion. For a lot of people, it damn sure is. Yeah. If you treat it, I guess if you act like it's a religion and treat it like a religion, it is. And it was for me. It's not now, sure. but it was. Sure. And well, even back during those days, John, it helped keep you sober, son, didn't it? It did. Yeah, I can't even knock with it. those views. And, and life was actually you know. getting better, too. That's the thing, too. Yeah, everything was getting better. Yeah, so it carried you along a positive path. Yes. Even though you came to the position later, well, X, Y, and Z here is yeah. completely false. <laughs> exactly. Right? Right. And in fact, if I hold those, that that's those are really delusional beliefs. Exactly. Because, uh, there is no rational justification for believing those things to be true. Right. Right. You know, so it's just that's kind of how we're wired. You yep. Know? We believe a lot of shit that we've got no justification for. But if we're looking for justified true beliefs, that becomes a different question. But you know, so I can see. Uh, the first four chapters as essentially Wilson's long argument for the existence of a personal creator, God, who is all-knowing, all-loving, 
all-powerful, um, and upon which if you did not place your confidence and faith, you were probably going to just die drunk. Right. He's making that long argument. Mm-hmm. And he's it comes in pieces for the first couple of chapters. But once you get to chapter four, that's where he sets out to become the lay theistic apologist right. by laying out the reasons for believing that such a being exists. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And he, of course, when you begin to look at that chapter in, in the context of an argument, yeah. which it is, um, then every plank of that argument is predicated on a logical fallacy. Right. It yeah. does not follow. As an argument, it fails. You know, his cosmological argument. What's interesting about those arguments to me is that if you go back to evangelical apologetics, the latter half of the 19th century, the first couple of decades of the 20th century, pretty much what you see in the big book is standard fair evangelical apologetics for the existence of God. That's what's really interesting. Yeah. It's far more Protestant and evangelical than people want to think about, you know. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, that takes some background to do those kinds of investigations. I knew a lot about it, but, so I see it. Right. But what else is going on in there? For example, if you look at the Serenity Prayer, which is not in the big book, right? No, it's not. That gets tagged on, and it's been in every meeting I've ever seen. If you look at the guts of that prayer, the core concepts come straight out of Stoic ethical philosophy, particularly Epictetus. Now, Reinhold Niebuhr did not credit Epictetus or the Stoics, mm-hmm. and he remodeled the thing so that it's a petition that serenity is a gift of God. Oh. But no, Epictetus says, and the Stoics said, serenity is a result of a rational ex- exploration of these things that I have power and control over, the things that I do not have power control over and understanding the difference between those two things. Well, isn't that interesting? You know, I never knew that. I never knew that's where that came from. So he actually, he actually yep. borrowed that from the, uh, that's the ancient Greeks, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And Roman. Epictetus was a Roman. He's Roman. Okay. This is the latter part of Stoicism. Oh, okay. So he gets this from ancient times. I didn't know. I never knew that. Yeah. And he turned well, it into Christians more of a... will come up with crap like that. Yeah, and 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 rephrase it and try to claim some kind of originality, but in, in a sense, there's nothing that original on the planet. No, <laughs> you know it's kind of funny about the Serenity yeah. Prayer because um, some people like like um, some people think that the Serenity Prayer is a good alternative to the Lord's Prayer and that it's not sectarian or affiliating with religion or anything. Like for example, if you go to New York City and go to meetings there, they don't say the Lord's Prayer, but they do say the Serenity Prayer. So do you think that that's even acceptable? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it is for some people, but for me, I'm, I'm a metaphysical naturalist. I yeah. am an atheist. Yeah. Um, prayer, as put, is a petition to God who's going to give you something. Yeah. In my view, that God does not exist. Exactly. Well, that's my view, too. You see, I am without that. But the core concepts of what's going on inside that prayer came out of very rationalistic, right. non-theistic philosophical thought. Right. Epictetus. Right. Epictetus is manual, to be specific. And uh, once you begin to understand that, which I had been exploring for years, Mm -hmm. um, ancient Greek and Roman thought, that is the the environment 
in which Christianity was born. Yeah. So, you know, my, my curiosity, you know, has been on all kinds of trails. Yep. There's a great deal of stoic thought in the New Testament. And there's, and you get looking at it. For example, if you pick up Marcus Aurelius's meditations and begin to read that mm-hmm. and think about the stuff you have heard in AA over the years, you're mm-hmm. going to go, holy shit, there's a lot of stoicism in here. Yeah. You know, there's this, a lot of basic religion. A, I think there's going to be a thing on, about that in, in the con, at the convention. I think Jesse is going to do a panel on stoicism in AA, and that's probably what he's going to be talking about, maybe. Oh yeah, yeah. He and I caught, we we talked about that when he when the, he and Dorothy made their little trip through the yeah across the plains and stopped for about ten minutes. I got to meet those two. Yeah. The oh cool. They were pretty tired, but so they he's had into to that. Go. So, yeah, I'll be I'll be awesome to see Jesse again and everybody else that I get to meet. But you know, pretty much everything in AA is like that, where if you just take out the supernatural and you just focus on the actually the action or the thought sure. behind it, then it kind of makes sense. Sure. Uh, one way to look at the twelve steps, for example, if you look at the you know the the end of you know step twelve, where we are putting these principles. Yeah. You know, principles are guiding our hair. Well, what is the principle of step one? What is the principle of step two if you're taking theistic beliefs out of it? There's still a principle going on. Yeah, sure. It's operating below the content, whatever, as right. written. Right. Same as step three. So the first step is essentially the way I talk about it for me is this basic surrender to this one fact about me and Boots. Mm-hmm. That's the first one. Mm-hmm. And the third one's really are extensions of a, a growing surrender to some other facts about existence. I, I control a great deal. Mostly everything is outside of my control. Sure. So there you go. So and theologically, in the Christian context, is put in context of submitting to God, depending on God, and trusting God that he's got a bigger, better plan than you do. Right. Right? But it's a surrender. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's a wider surrender than just this fact about me and boots. Right. It's the surrender. I really don't control very much. Right. I don't have power and control over very much at all. You know. Yeah. So um, that's 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 a that's another way of looking at it, I suppose. Yeah. So where you're at now, um, we kind of started. We kind of started with where you're at now. So you're very comfortable now as an atheist. You've been sober in AA for a long time. You go to traditional meetings. And so, and, and talk about that a little bit. How, 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 so you, you, you're managing pretty okay with their, your traditional meetings? Oh, uh, you know, as a traditional meeting goes, our group generally reads out of the daily reflection every day. Right. Uh, which, uh, it's just, it's, it's agonizing. It's a crappy book. It, it, I hated it when the when they first came oh, out with it. You know, it's it's hyper evangelical. I mean, there's no question about it. Yeah, but, it's ridiculous. And of book. course, the evangelicals here in the West Texas Bible Belt love the dog out of that because <laughs> they look at AA as a field of pre-evangelism for their particular sectarian views. You know. Yeah. And it's, it's really what's happening there. So, I mean, so a lot of this, uh, you'll go to your group, but at any given time, you do have other um, open atheists there. But so is there actually, do you have people that give you a really hard time um, about uh, being an atheist? 
Uh, yeah, I, uh, the first couple of years of my experience in AA, it was a daily, uh, it was a daily ongoing holy war, uh, pretty much perpetrated by two basic groups who were formed around two basic leaders. Uh-huh. One of those groups and leaders uh, were of a literalist mindset with regarding the big book. The big book, yeah. We have a group the other, like here. The other group, the other faction in this group was led by a guy who was a liberalist. Mm-hmm. Okay? He didn't take it literally. He was more open. Right. But they were involved in perpetuating uh, a hostile daily situation uh, for atheists. And there were four young atheists in the group when I got there. They, I watched them drive four of those people out of the room. Wow. Uh, I'm sorry, there's five of them. And um, I had nowhere else to go. Uh, I was 54. They were young. Yeah. The youngsters, you know, they're just not, they're not going to put up with much of that crap. They're not going to be around. No. Nope. You know? And nope. most old timers won't either. You know, most, most people won't. No. Nope. I was desperate and there was nowhere else to go. And uh, as I was saturating my mind with the literature of AA and the history of AA and pretty much everything that I could get my hands on that Bill Wilson had written and begin to look at his evolution over time, I began to see a huge disparity between what was happening in that room as a practical matter right. and the larger, more diverse um, principles that, sh- that are in play on paper about right. fellowship. Right. You know, and if you talk to old timers and- that have been around for 40 or 50 years, they'll tell you that, you know, in the 60s and 70s, it really wasn't as religious as it is now. That it's become more fundamentalist in the, in the 80s sure. and 90s. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And really, that's, uh, uh, that's a reflection of what's going on in the society, American society. Uh, with the evangelicals beginning to come out of the woodwork right. in the seventies uh, and re-engage in the political sphere, right? And they they shift to the right, farther to the right, right? They yep. become more vocal, more demanding, more derogatory of anybody not like them. And you know we've got a Congress full mm-hmm. of people like that now, and they control most of the state houses, the legislature. Yep. We see the kind of legislation that um, those folks attempt to uh, deploy yeah. upon all the citizens of the country. And so our the society is cut and really siloed. The same process is going on yeah. inside AA. Yeah. yeah. And what's happened to AA, though, I think, too, is that the only people who are attracted to, the only people who will stick to AA, I think, are the are the religious people or people who can at least tolerate it. And so now... That's the problem you have in AA, I think, is like if I, if I, if I go to my Western, my, um, area assembly, the Western Missouri area assembly, um, I'm like the mm-hmm. only open atheist there. Um, but the reason, yeah. the only reason for that is the only people that will put up with AA are the people who are believers, who will, who, who are okay with the belief system. If, if AA itself would loosen up, there would be more people like us of our mindset in AA. But it's it's tough to be one out of um, a couple hundred people who are standing out of the Lord's Prayer, you know, <laughs> or one out of or one out of six. People. Yeah, yeah, and it's no easier. Yeah, or yeah, if you're, yeah, you're a young person, you're you're it like might 30, be harder. 
Yeah, yeah. It absolutely would be harder, especially if you're if you're brand new. You're having the you're 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 at the bottom of your life. You you might not even want to live anymore. You know, and yeah, and you go to one of these goddamn meetings, and people are telling you about God, and if you don't believe in God, you think, well, this is crazy. Now that's what people think now. Yeah. I think back then, for whatever reason, I think it was different. I think the times were different before the well before the internet. That I would I would just accept crap easier than I would now. I think with the internet you get more information and you're just not gonna you're not gonna accept you're gonna run into some situation, you're gonna say, Oh, this is bizarre. This I'm not gonna do this. But back then you didn't really have that much information and you just said, Oh, okay, well, this is what you That's do. That's the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> this is what you do. Yeah. This is what you believe. <laughs> you know, think about it. You know, uh, that's just kinda that's a very natural, there's a very natural explanations for all of that. Yeah. Um, the information age really is the information age. It started with the printing press and you and I happen to have lived during a period of time where it has just grown exponentially. Oh man. It's you know, I mean, it's mind boggling. There's hardly any of us that can comprehend just how much this has grown. You know, think back, I'm a, you know, when I'm a kid, Mm-hmm. So there's there's two channels on the television. I know. They go off at ten thirty. I know. And what one of the networks? There's three networks. Um, I'm sorry. There's still there's three. Right. One of them stayed uh, open after the news because Johnny Carson was on. It was Jack Parr before that. Right. And after that, it was the test pattern. You know, right. Indians, I remember. Economy, I remember. You know? mm-hmm. And they'd they'd play the uh, you know the high flight yeah. poem and the guy flying a jet plane, which I loved as a yeah. kid. But that was it. Yeah. Any other information in your little town he's raising in came from your preacher or your parents or the people at your church yep. or small local newspaper or the library. And that was it. Yep. It was easier for um, AA to kind of control its message, too, because the only, the only thing you would know about AA it was always positive. It seemed it was it was it was from some movie you saw, or maybe you read Dear Abby, or um, it was something right. like that. And and like I never had any idea it was so damn religious. I honestly, I, I never read the Twelve Steps. I never knew that God had anything to do with AA. You know, when I was growing up, as I a knew kid, it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I figured it was just like you know, I don't know. But and it freaked me out at first when I saw it. But then I I did just go along. I was okay. Say so, okay, well, I'll just there's got to be some psychological. Um, aspect to this but then after a while i actually did i actually i guess believed or i don't know what i did but i i i was definitely one of those big book thumpers for a long time and <laughs> yeah it's almost it's almost surprising if it does not happen yeah yeah i mean it's yeah because Think of it like that yeah you want to you want to fit in you want to you want to where he is yeah so yeah you and know, i, I and knew exactly what to do Oh yeah, yeah. So, I could I could I learn that big book, you know, and everybody uh, thinks I'm great. You know, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> now when an atheist starts quoting that big book <laughs> and taking them to places they don't want to go, like the spiritual experience yeah. too, and real places they really would rather avoid, yeah, uh, then it it gets it gets kind of crazy. Well, so I'll tell you the funniest today, thing. Oh, go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. Oh, so this meeting today, you know, I said there's 14 people there. Yeah. Uh, six of atheists. Two of those people were hardcore Southern Baptist Christians. Uh huh. And one of them, the guy, husband and wife, uh, the guy goes to the morning meeting. He's mm-hmm. actually part of NA, but he does NA and AA. Whenever I say something, he gets 
whenever I start to say anything, he gets up out of his chair and walks out of the room. Wow. To this day. Wow. And here we are, this meeting going down, and there's no talk of God or spirituality or all, um, but just the whole process of self-examination, surrender, and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, doing this in the context of other people, taking responsibility for our lives, trying to clean up our past, owning that stuff, you know, living a more responsible, positive, productive life, you know, as a series of actions. And uh, I, we had just got the copy of The New Grapevine, which in the back of it has, it says the October issue is going to be all about atheists <laughs> right. and agnostics. And I held that up. And the guy's sitting right across the, the table for a uh-huh. And I called, and here's a historical event. Yeah. October the grapevine is going to be all about atheists and agnostics in the A who are still atheists and agnostics cool. and work the program in their very own ways. Oh man. And in all kinds of ways. And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, wow. uh, you know, now me and this guy, we get along fine outside of me. Right. You know, I'm friendly to everybody. I really could care less. Sure. Than everybody believes. Sure. Right. Now they're awful damn concerned about what I don't believe, but right. that just goes with the turf, right? Right. But uh, for our brochure, you know, for our conference in Austin, mm-hmm. January 1st, I posted it up on the bulletin board. Uh-huh. It stayed there until June, uh-huh. which was shocking. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, what would have happened, uh, you know, within that first three years of my presence in the room, it wouldn't have lasted five minutes. Yeah. Yep. But the last uh, the last couple of months, we had some guys that started coming to the morning meeting, and they're pretty much hardcore evangelicals. Mm-hmm. And so they've been taking that they've been taking that thing down. Isn't that funny? And now I'm up to number I'm number up to number ten now. Oh, uh, I took a picture of it along with some other stuff I posted from our literature. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, uh, so they're they're trying to do this little holy war. Right. So if I attend that meeting and I start to say something, four of them would get up out of their chair and walk out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's this ongoing holy war. Yeah. Some of the people, they just happen to be the more religious, evangelical people. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, what I've started doing with them is asking them what the word theist means. Mm-hmm. And not a single goddamn one of them could tell me and which is kind of typical yeah I said, well do you know what the word theism means mm-hmm. well, what, what? i said well unless you know what those words mean you have no fucking clue right what the word atheist means right and you gotta read a book you know because they've been pretty shitty so i'm gonna get a little shitty back to them a little bit yeah i noticed it started changing when i stopped being a doormat and a real nice guy and ignoring all the shit and calling their hand on the sports. Yeah. That's what has changed. Yeah. That is what has widened the gates that cannot happen without conflict. Right. Yeah. You're probably right about that. I chose not to do the conflict. I guess I could have, I could have sure. stayed at my old group and somehow fought to change it, but I just decided to leave and do the, and start an agnostic group. And I know. I, and yeah. I love that. I love it. Uh, yeah. I chose not to go that route. Yeah. It may it may eventually happen here, but uh you know, if I could double down on these twin values of honesty and tolerance, which I think on paper that's what AA is going after. If you look right. at 
combined total of a great deal of the general service conference stuff and most certainly Bill Wilson's later views. That's what he was all about, widening those oh, gates. Absolutely, yeah. Honesty and tolerance that everybody needs to be welcome. We don't get to force our views on other people and have them feel like they don't belong because they don't believe like well, we need people or, like we need people like you. We need we need the more atheists out there in the regular meetings. If we're just in our own little silos and we don't ever get to interact with each other, then then we're really less likely to bring about any change. The change is going to happen by doing the things that you're doing. Like if you sit down the Lord's prayer and you're the only one doing it, and then the next week you get another guy doing it, and the next <clears> month you got four or five guys doing it. That's that's how you change if you, if you, if you, and, and what, what I do, I just, you know, I'm not changing anybody. We're just only, we're just getting our, our, our own little place together, which is nice too, but I don't know that all works together. I, I'm trying to it's tell good. myself all, I need to go to necessary. traditional meetings. I don't go Every to traditional time. meetings all anymore. I, all of it's necessary. Yeah. 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 You know, if you think about, uh, the Jews during world war two in Germany, what happened? They were rounded up and, and put in ghettos. Right. They were partitioned off from right. the rest of society. So in a sense, though it's, it has been necessary for non-believers to form their own groups. Right. 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 That are in fact friendly toward non-believers and right. not hostile. Right. Really for anybody, you know. Yeah. But at least not hostile to the non-believer. That's a form of ghettoization. Yeah. Those people are contracted out of these home groups right? where they could actually uh, have more of a long-term impact mm-hmm. on, on, on the nature of AA yep. than just go and hide and run. I had been hiding and running from a lot of things in my life and uh, decided that, yeah, hell, I even made a brochure uh, for starting a group. And I was, I was about two and a half years sober. I was ready to firebomb the place and go black ops on some of these people and do some bodily injury to people. You know, it's like crazy. Yeah. And I decided, no, I'm going to double down on honesty and tolerance. I wrote my first letter on toleration uh, to the group, spread that around. That caused a fury. <laughs> it broke the backs. It broke the backs of both the literalists and the liberalists. Oh, that's funny. The holy war came to a stop. It was interesting. Yeah. Well, there's some things we're fighting for. Yeah, you're right about that. And so for me, uh, yeah, I go to meetings and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff that, you know, most of us atheists just kind of, you know, it's just part of the the atmosphere. Right. But meaningful for some of the people in that room. True. Right. Right. And part of the tolerance is, is that, you know, each guy's entitled to his own story. Each guy's entitled to, you know, Walk the path that only yep. he can walk yep. to keep himself sober. If those if those beliefs help him do that, I'm damn sure all for it. Yeah, I am too. You know, you I know. am too. But a lot of time, that's not reciprocated, is it? No, that's not. <laughs> no, it's not. No. <laughs> so you know, the, the challenge is, what do you do about that when it's not reciprocated? You just got to continue doubling down on that. Yeah. And you know. Yeah. Realize that we all change. Well, I deal with it just, just at the service level. I deal with it at just only see, I don't have a problem in Kansas City, um, with other people from outside other groups when I, when I work in the districts and stuff like that. No problem whatsoever. But when I go to the area assembly where there's people from groups all over the western of Missouri, then I, I do, but it's kind of a subtle thing. Um, they don't come up to me and, 
directly confront me or anything like that. But if, if something, if we, if, if something's actually push comes to shove, then I find out what their views are and, and what they actually think of me. And it's really kind of eye opening when that happens, but you know, well, usually, you know, before that even happens, don't you? <laughs> yeah. You always have an idea. They're giving you the evil eye. Well, you know, it was really funny. Body, that, <laughs> the first time I showed up there, um, I was kind of, uncomfortable because i was the only agnostic group i still am at the area assembly i was the first agnostic group ever there and um mm. i know that people were very um suspicious of me i mean i had a, a guy that was friendly to me tell me that that people were talking um i had another guy come up and, and tell me that someone had questions but in the, they would never ask me directly you know they wouldn't talk to me directly um, w- when it was time to have lunch, I'd be eating lunch alone while everyone else was at tables. <laughs> it was kind of a lonely experience, but over time, sure, this ostracism is <laughs> yeah, real. It is, but over time, it and got it's painful, different. Isn't it? it is. It's but, painful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But well, now it's, it's not. To be painful. It's not that way now. Yeah. Down there, I now I actually go there. I sit with people. I have lunch. They're more friendly. They know me, and it's a lot different. But I ha- I got I'm gonna take it to the next level. Um, I'm gonna try to change a few things. But anyway, that's another story. It, it's another interesting story. though. What yeah. happens over time, John? And you're experiencing that in in at the at, at the service levels. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. If you get time. Yeah. And you continue to express goodwill to everyone around you, even yeah. the ones that. By their looks and by their statements, you think they hate your guts, and some of them probably do. Yeah, <laughs> but you you continue to extend to them the right hand of fellowship, for example. Yeah, acceptance. not let that interfere with what you have in common. Yeah, that's over true. time, that that uh, I, I think we underrate what can happen there. Yeah, I think you're right. I really do. Yep, we're going to have to experience pain of rejection, ostracism. Rumors. I could stretch a whole story on the rumors that have been started about me over six and a half years. Yeah. By the religious components, you know, yeah. it's just going to be part of the turf. But uh, I don't know. It's been a heck of a journey. I, yeah. uh, I'm damn glad I'm sober. Me too. I have met so many fantastic people like you and and all kinds of folks now from all over the world. I know. Isn't that amazing? That I love that. Recovery. Yeah. Uh, I do a lot of conversating with people on Facebook recovery groups. Yeah. Most of which are not. I uh, do a little stuff on some of the groups that we're in, that we all know about, you know. Yeah. Um, but I like other groups where there's a big ad- admixture of people and their various views. Yeah, yeah. You know, those kinds of conversations get real interesting sometimes. Yeah, I had to leave one of them. I, I left the rowdy rum because those people pissed me off. Oh, they kicked me out of there. Oh, did they kick you out? I just left. Oh, yeah. It was. It was Christian Coltish dog pile from day one because I was honest about being an atheist. Yeah. It seemed like the rest of the atheists were just playing patty cakes. And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, playing, playing the evasion game. <laughs> and, I, and, uh, yeah, and I was, you know, that's what yeah. it is. But there's one called the Rum Rejects. Oh, okay. You get into there if you've been kicked out of the rum. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Rowdy well, Rum's the biggest online pay cult I know of. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to be fun to see you in there's Austin. Some fun, there's some good people up there. Yeah, there are. It'll be fun to see you down there in Austin. Um, and uh, are you are you doing any panels or workshops or anything? No. You know, really, I've come to even talking about this pretty hesitantly. You know, I, 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 I really uh, – I, I don't like – I like being behind the scenes kind of gotcha. guy. Gotcha, gotcha. 
Gotcha. You know, yeah. I, I just, I, I, uh, I guess some people are attracted to that. I never have been. I've been always more of a writer and a thinker and a doer, and a doer in a little way, yeah. you know? Yep. And, uh, well, that's cool. This will be fun but, to see. No, yeah. But I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah, I think a lot of you guys that hadn't been there will really like Austin. Oh, yeah. I've never actually been to Texas. I'm looking forward to seeing it. So that'll be oh, fun. Oh, yeah. I'm driving all the way down. We're driving from, from here. It's like a 10 hour drive. That's the best way to do it. All right, Mark. Well, I guess, um, I think our tornado sirens might be going off here, but, or maybe it's just, let's, uh, anyway, <laughs> I will, uh, it was nice talking to you. It's great talking to you, John. I appreciate everything you guys are doing over there at AA Bomb Belief and these old podcast things. I was hesitant to do this even. Oh know? man. I tell you what, but I love I these podcasts. I really so enjoyed fun. listening to I just have really enjoyed listening to how you do them and, and listening to your interviews, and they've been fantastic. I tell you, it's it's a lot of fun to do. I, I get to meet so many interesting people. It's just it's been it's been a good experience. So yeah, good yeah. stuff. All right, well you have a good night, my friend. I'll, I'll be talking to you soon. Okay, thank you, John. Bye bye. Well, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief the podcast. We'll be back next week with Ben B for a discussion of steps eight and nine. Until then. Take care and be well.